Hello and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we're going to talk about reevaluating leverage. <sighs> I just love talking about leverage. <laughs> so what's leverage? A lever is a tool that magnifies your input force, create greater output force. So like a seesaw with a fulcrum way over at one end so that my daughter can lift me off the ground, even though I weigh three times more than her. So in the in business, of course, this is making more money without working more hours is one example. Uh, <laughs> but lots of ways to do this. We've talked about them uh, in the past, but specifically what we want to get at today is once you have these things set up, however you decided to create leverage in your business, whether it's hiring or systems or automation or whatever, that you know, intellectual property, it's like reevaluating. When do you when do you reevaluate whether or not something is either optimal or maybe things have changed uh, and you're you're stuck in a rut or all of your automations are just running and you don't look at them or whatever. And how do you make that decision? Because I think that we sort of accept that leverage must be good. And so, you know, we do it. And I think a lot of times it winds up on autopilot, which when it's working is is probably a good thing. Um, when it's not working is when we're tempted to to take it apart and, and see. But even when it's working, there might be a way to make it work better. Right. Yeah. Like if you get to the point where you know, you're like, oh, I know, I'm going to automate this thing and then everything will be better. And then you do it and it works. And that creates space for you to be like, oh, now I, you know, now there's this new suboptimal, I don't want to say problem, like there's this new suboptimal thing that I can attack next. Or it's like, you just leave it like that and you go back and you're like, you know, this could really be better. Like if I was going to, if I was going to make this decision over again, now that I'm on the other side of the experience, would I still make the same decision with the new information? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I just remembered when the first time I used um, Zapier, um, I was so proud of myself that I'd automated some things. And it was nothing, you know, big. It was just a few little things. But it kind of got me, I kind of saw your side of this, Jonathan, where you get excited <laughs> by the systems because to make it work so you don't have to touch things is pretty amazing because you get this time back and nothing's more valuable than that. It's headspace too. It's like, I, I yeah. don't have to worry about this anymore, but that's, that's sort of the, the flip that's side the of the point. It. Yeah. Right. It's like, you don't worry <laughs> yeah. about it anymore. And you get to the point where you're like, how does this even work? Is this really the best way to have it set up? Yeah, exactly. For, for, I know for me, probably the biggest one is my email setup because it's so, um, well, I almost said, monolithic but it's really not i it's almost like when i first started with daily i went way overboard with tagging and workflows and campaigns and automation and i was oh, oh this is going to make this <laughs> this is going to be so great it's going to do all these things and after a while i was just like this is pr producing no obvious results it's confusing to me i don't know where people might be in the flow if somebody signed up for like five different lead magnets, they're going to get five emails from me and be like, how come you're spamming me? And it was just like a way over engineered it. And it almost feels like over time, I, I revise how it works periodically, like at least twice a year, probably sometimes even more this year, definitely more. And it's usually like just making it simpler, simpler, simpler by shaving off stuff that doesn't apparently doesn't need to be there like that just doesn't I thought might be important but doesn't mm -hmm. seem important in hindsight and just make it 
I don't know, just simplify it. So it's like, so it's more effective, less friction, less work. Yeah. Well, you know, there's also leveraging through people. And that's, you know, one of the questions that kind of sparked this was, you know, what happens, you know, how do you know when you cross the line from leverage saving you money to costing you money, mm. right? And it's um, it, the, the way that they described it was, how do you know when you're going from creating leverage to deducting yeah, leverage? Deducting. And right. yeah, and what I liked about, about the question and the example that they gave is that it was where you're hiring a contractor to do work that you would do otherwise. Mm -hmm. um, in this particular case, it was a writer. And so the question becomes, okay, I have to, if, if it takes this writer um, at least two and sometimes three drafts to get something that I still have to heavily edit, is that, it basically, is that good leverage or bad leverage? Right. It's creating and a different kind of work. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, my reaction to that was, well, this sounds like, you know, something's awry here. And uh, yeah, one of the things we talked about is, I think I've said this on the show before, you know, I used to use a rule of three with uh, when I used independent contractors for my multiple consultant business is that the first proposal we did together, you assume is going to be a mess because they don't know how we work. We're getting to know each other, but we'd go to the client meeting together and they'd write the proposal and I'd give them a lot of guidance to get it to that 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 place. And so that had a lot of guidance, the first draft. And then the second time that we did one, I would expect them to get better. Mm -hmm. And the third time I would expect them to be able to mostly solo with maybe like a little bit here and there. And that was, that was my right or wrong. That was the system that I used because I found that if somebody didn't get it the first time from the way I was teaching them, I'm not saying I couldn't have done it better, but it was how I believed they needed to learn. <laughs> <laughs> how I wanted to do it. And if they didn't get it by the second one, if there was no improvement, there was almost never improvement on the third. And I, I would try usually, especially if it was a an in-demand skill set, but it just by the third one, they're not going to get it. And it's taking so much of my time. It's not saving me anything. Mm -hmm. So it's really thinking about that and being aware of when someone you're handing things off to is making your life more difficult <laughs> rather than less. Right. So it, there's another angle on it too, which is the, the pattern that I see on my side of the fence is that somebody is doing implementation. They're probably building by the hour. They hear about my stuff. They start to shift away from it. They start to do, you know, for example, break off strategic engagement at the beginning of an implementation. So instead of just jumping straight into a build and, and doing all the smart stuff up front by the hour, they'll chop that off and do a roadmap or an architecture or something like that first at a fixed price and then jump into the implementation. And however they decide, you know, if that's hourly or whatever, it doesn't matter, but that, but they, they start to the separation between the brains work and the hands work starts to become apparent and mm -hmm. They, they're like, oh, I should really be spending my time doing more of this high level stuff and not typing semicolons all day. And so, but, but they still haven't gotten mentally, they haven't pr really gotten to the place where they would let go of the doing. So like the, like we don't, they, they might even need the cash flow of the implementation and the, the support maintenance and all that stuff. So they still need to type semicolons, but they're, but they're starting to feel like, oh, this isn't really the best use of my time. I should hire someone to do this. And so they, they hire someone to do it. And either, usually one of two things happens, either they hire someone really good 
who's expensive and at the end of the project they're like i made basically no money off of this <laughs> yeah it all My went to the, was zero <laughs> yeah it's like oh wow like when all of the salary all the pay goes to someone besides me there's no money in this <laughs> yeah it, or they hire someone really cheap and it and it's and instead of typing semicolons all day they're managing someone who's typing semicolons all day and they need a lot of hand holding and of course there's a lot of a lot of area in between it's not like either or but that's the spectrum the two ends of the spectrum that you tend to see but the question so the the in the context of this episode the question becomes well do i even need to, to hire anyone to do this at all like maybe i shouldn't mm -hmm. even be doing this anymore like implementation mm -hmm. or or the build phase maybe i start to let that go you know i just keep doing that for existing clients legacy clients for whom I've been supporting something or doing, you know, I've got a big project that's ongoing and I'm just going to stop selling the the build. I'm just going to do the design. And mm -hmm. right. And so you get, as you build up that cat, it's much more profitable, but you, it's generally starts off being lower revenue. So you yes. need more leads. Right. Yeah. You have but to the, build a machine for that. Right. And so you're the, the reevaluation is like, First, it was like, should I hire somebody to do this or do it myself? And then it's like, well, maybe I shouldn't even be doing this. And, you know, it's not yeah. uncommon for that. You know, the the risk profile is so different. The profit, profitability is so different. Like when that light bulb turns on and someone's been doing, you know, been building stone, you know, stone walls or software or whatever for 10, 15 years. They're like, oh, I am kind of sick of this. Like my favorite thing is the fun upfront part. And I would happily either have someone I pay do it or just oversee the client's team like they don't need to pay me all that money you know that top dollar to build the thing yeah well you know it's interesting when you say that it's like when you decide to outsource something or even think about outsourcing something and you have to like put it in a box right so you can hand it off it's it does change how you think about things mm -hmm. either you don't miss it at all so it's like, so, or why was I doing that? Because it has no impact or you, you don't miss it because the person you've offloaded it to is that it's work that's in their genius zone. They're doing a great job. And then presumably, and that's the question mark, is that you're making more money uh, or more happy money at the end of the year when you do yeah. that. It's not always the case. Right. Right. But I think you can also, you can find this with, um, virtual assistants, um, they can help you kind of figure out really quickly if it's good leverage or bad leverage. Like I was thinking when I converted from MailChimp to ConvertKit, I didn't know what I didn't know. Mm -hmm. And so my regular VA helped find a specialized VA with con uh, ConvertKit experience. And she sounded great. Um, what she didn't tell me is that she only worked like two hours a day in a very rigid schedule. And so she would she would answer my questions, but then I had to wait another 24 hours to get like the next piece. So if I had like a follow-up question, it was like another day. And I felt like I was working for her. It was a very, it was like, I finally, I finally said to my VA, regular VA who was in the middle of all of it, I was like, this isn't working. She'd given us a flat fee. I said, just pay her the rest of the money and tell her to go away. And, you know, we'll figure this out. But sometimes working with particular people on particular kinds of projects, it just makes you see very clearly that there's a, a problem 
with mm-hmm. how you've structured the work or the relationship with the person who's doing the work. Mm. That's an interesting point. I, I never really thought about that, but it's it's true when I've I've experimented, I, I flirted with VAs, and <laughs> it's like it's like when they ha- they you know of course of course they want you to like give them a clear instruction you know like the package up the handoff so that it's clear and. and so many times when I've gone to do that, I'm like, oh, the problem isn't that this is too much work. The problem is that I'm being super disorganized about it. And just organizing it for the VA almost makes me not need the VA. Yes. <laughs> it's that step at the yes. beginning that I didn't want to do. Yeah. That like creative part where I just wanted to outsource and be like, can you just take care of this and have them just take care of it? But of course, you know, that virtually never worked out in my favor. It was just always a disaster. Well, we don't have mind readers generally. Yeah. yeah well, that's the thing. You know? <laughs> we all need one. Wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't, I, I don't blame them. It's like they're set up to fail in that scenario. Um, but it is funny when you, you're like, oh, the exercise of packaging it up to hand it off, it can make you think like, step back and say like, do I, does this even need to be done? Like, why am I even doing this in the first place? And is it worth it to me to go through this? Like, I just wanted to write a check to make it go away because I didn't want to think about it. But then I, it, that I still had to do the part in, in many cases, I still had to do the piece that I was trying to avoid. So if I have to do that anyway, then the rest of it's just like, ah, whatever. Now I've, now I've figured it out. Well, you know, it's, it's always a really interesting exercise with coaching clients because there's that piece where, you know, they're working from their zone of genius and they always have some things that they maybe don't love so much. Um, but there's also, there tends to be, and we're all guilty of this, assumptions about what we have to do, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. So if, if I'm, you know, in communications, I have to do the writing, Maybe not. Maybe you could just do the strategy and outsource the writing. What does that look like? Or I have to do these administrative tasks for my clients. Well, let's examine that. Do you really have to? Like have to. And so part of this is it's, and that's what I love about packaging up to outsource is it it makes us re-examine what we want to offload and why. Yeah. And it makes it incredibly clear what it's costing you to do it because when you stop if you're doing it yourself it doesn't feel the same it's like just your time and of course there's opportunity cost but it doesn't it's not like you're writing a check to yourself for that thing and so all of a sudden if you're writing a check to someone to you know like i i experimented with having a va do my youtube channel and when i you know it's like you just write you're just seeing the money go out and it's like okay you know that it feels fair for the amount of work the person was doing, but is it producing a result that I want? You know what yes. I mean? Yeah. And 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 guess what? Not doing the YouTube channel anymore. Like I, I send podcast episodes to it, but I barely touch it anymore because the result, like we, you kind of have to, I had, in this case, I had to get the machine going a little bit to see what outcomes it would lead to because mm-hmm. I didn't, I mean, I had some... I don't know how specific I was about, I mean, definitely subscribers and views, like those, those sort of analytic-y type stuff that I don't normally care about, but I was like, well, some leading indicators would be useful. Like if, if I'm getting a lot of subscribers or if videos, if certain videos take off, then I would be interested to maybe talk more about those subjects, those sorts of things, kind of like, mm-hmm. but then you like look at that monthly check you're writing and like, well, is this really the best way to get the information that I'm, yeah. that I'm getting? 
you know, and then hilariously, I suppose, or, or maybe ironically, uh, I just stopped doing all that in 2019. And, you know, my subscriber count has like tripled since then. I haven't done anything. So like, well, does, yeah, you set it up and then you let it go. Right. <laughs> well, you, you feed it a little bit, right? Be- you feed it a little barely, bit. Barely, yeah. barely, yeah. yeah. Subsistence food. Right. Yeah, it's on an yeah. IV drip at yeah. best. Um, so, so we talked a tiny bit about automation and like re- revisiting that and people. Um, there's, there's something, I mean, maybe in between sort of straddling the two is just systems in general. We've talked about SOPs many times before and checklists and and I actually got a, I was speaking at a conference last week and I got this question, which is related. It's like, how often should you be updating your SOPs? And the, the question asker was feeling very much like, you know, it's like, oh, we've been doing these productized services, but it seems like every time we do it, we are updating the way we do it. And I was like, I mean, I think that's actually good depending on how extensive the changes are. Like, I feel like every time I run an SOP, I tweak some little thing about mm-hmm. it, but it's it's like one yeah. or 2% um, based on either new information, just something new. There's like some new, um, there's some change where it's like, oh, there's either I think of a better way that I didn't think of before, but it's usually not that. It's usually that like, oh, I should do these. Uh, I, there's a different way to do this that would give me the same result. Like for example, mm-hmm. just something dumb like, like, oh, I should open up, I should start the Vimeo upload first and then I can, you know, or or the link that I send could be straight to the Vimeo video instead of me linking to it in the Ditcherville library or whatever. There's like, you know, these little, little tweaks like that that are really, it's not something you'd even need to announce really. It's just internal and minor tweaks, which I think that's normal. I think that's normal and good. Uh, yeah if you were doing wholesale changes for a, like a lot i would be like uh, i think you got some other problem there but i guess that's, that's not what this episode's <laughs> about but you shouldn't you shouldn't be like to me that's like you haven't figured out who the buyer is yet there have there aren't enough patterns in your pipeline enough not enough similarity between the kinds of people you're attracting to productize something if they all have different patterns of stupidity it doesn't, you, it's tough to productize but that's a Topic for another oh, okay. day. Okay. All right. I, I I was having trouble with where you were going with that. I get it now. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. With who your client is, um, and the administrative, the SOPs themselves. I think if you have a VA, I mean, I think it was Todd Tresserter's book that convinced me to document everything. Um, yeah, he talked about so, that a lot. Yeah, and well, because he had at the time he had two VAs, and the rule is, you know, if you change anything, you have to document it, so that if anybody gets run over by a bus, you've got a way to get things done. And I just I just love having it that way because it makes it so easy. Like in theory, I can sit there and say, okay, here are the things I could pass on to a VA. It's not very many hours for me these days, but there's a couple of things I could theoretically pass on to a VA. But having them um, sliced and diced that way so that you know exactly what it is and you're tweaking it as you go is revelatory if you've never done yeah, it before it's huge <laughs> yeah it's huge um but so of the list of things that we were talking about before the show like reevaluating places where you create leverage i feel like systems is the one that's the uh the easiest you know if we're talking about sops and like text documents they're so fluid and easy to update and super useful that's like 
That's like mm -hmm. some real low-hanging fruit for somebody who wanted to get started with leverage in the first place. And I think they're, they are kind of self-healing or self-growing as long as part of the process is updating the process and it's not a, a massive update. Um, yeah, I, I just did that in the last couple of weeks. Um, I'm more active in LinkedIn than I've ever been. And I realized it changed my routine. So I had to update, you know, I have a weekly that goes day by day of the things that I do every week. And I, I needed to change it. And it's taken me I think I've been doing it three weeks now. And I guess that's the rule, right? Three weeks to make it a habit. Um, but I actually remembered yesterday to do what, what I couldn't automate. And uh, yeah, and so I, I had to, for me, I had to change my SOP because if it wasn't on the list, I couldn't trust that I would remember to actually do it. Yeah. Yeah. It's sad, probably, but it, yeah, I, I don't want to. I don't want to waste brain space trying to remember something that I can just write down and look at. You know, look at my list and go, okay, I'm going to do that now. Yeah, you don't need to reinvent the wheel. I, I, no, I just did this the other day where you know I'm launching a new workshop and I sort of sat down at the. There's sort of a confusing phase for the very first one that's right around the week before the launch, week before registration opens, then the week registration is open. And then once the, then the lessons start the next week, once the lessons start, it's very straightforward, but there's a lot of moving parts in the announcements and who asked to be told what and those mm. sorts of things. And, uh, and I, I did it. So for this new one, I just sort of did everything from scratch. You know, I just like, just put on my creative hat and was like, okay, this email's got to go on this date and it's going to say this. And it's, it's like you, I really need to focus. It needs to be like kids in bed, no interruptions, really yep. focus on it. And then, and sure enough, and it was a pure, it was a heavy lift, creative act. And sure enough, I like finished doing it and I notice that I have recreated the exact same thing I did for the previous workshop and I could have pretty much just <laughs> cut and paste. <laughs> I was like, uh, wait, I, wait, what's this in here? Oh, this is exactly what I spent, like yeah. some, burned some serious creative juices on. I could have just like, like find replace. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and this is, and this is in, you know, my, this whole year I've really been automating my workshops and like this, the, the, the launch piece is the piece I haven't automated yet. And I, if I had just written down, <laughs> that it's like, don't write this from scratch, dummy, go over here and look at that. And there's your starting point. Or even if I just yeah. had it as templates that I rem remember to look for, that's the trick. It needs to be in the like main, main like list, the main checklist for a new workshop. But anyway, I, I, I'm feeling better about my ability to do this now that you keep talking <laughs> is when I did the, um, the first mastermind, uh, this year, I just, I, I just said, you know what, this is new. I need to write everything down because I'm, I, you know, when I do the second one, I'm not going to remember this stuff. Yeah. And it was like silly things really, but the details are what make people feel welcome when you open up a Slack channel, for example. Right. So, and I had this thing about this relationship between Zoom and the calendar and how to set up the meetings and which again sounds like so basic but just being able to go to something and say oh yeah i have to do that and here's how mm -hmm. and you know here's the link to that i even did that with my um my bookkeeping because they have a portal 
where I have to upload um, things monthly. And so I'm like, okay, so I actually have in my case, it's a Word doc, but I have the link to the portal. I have the list of the things that, that need every month. And I, you know, I go to Amazon and get the book reports. I go to the 401k and get this thing. You know, I do I do those things, but it's automated. I don't really have to think about them. Yeah, I shouldn't say, it's not automated. It's on a list. It's an SOP. Right. And so, you know, I spend five minutes doing that and it's done and it's on my calendar first of the month or second of the month after the bank statements come out do right. this done boom yeah and you feel like a robot and that's what you want to feel like that's yeah, how i, I don't feel want to spend time thinking about that stuff right i just want it done right and for me like when i get, once i have that it, it's almost like well this was the hard part i don't need to outsource this piece <laughs> like so yeah um, yeah well, cool. So I know we could talk about systems all day long. It's like a favorite subject. <laughs> you um, could really. <laughs> yeah. Um, but let's switch over to money. Like, like all of these things cost money, uh, either in initial investment and setup or on an ongoing basis. And and what I'm the the thing that's really on my mind with this bullet point is the ongoing ones. Yeah. So the the thing the thing with for me. My two biggest expenses by a mile are fees from Moon Clark and Stripe and sending email. And so let's focus on email because that that's the one that um, I think is probably easiest to relate to. So with email, way back when, uh, I had a bunch of friends in a mastermind that were using Drip. Drip was still owned by the original person who we were sort of connected with you know, friend of a friend. It was like, yeah, let's use this. It was still kind of new. It was still pretty straightforward. It was written by developers for developer developer type of mindset made way more sense to me than the thing I had used previously, which was MailChimp, which never made sense to me. And so this is like, it might've been 2012. It was a while ago when I decided to use Drip and presumably had like zero subscribers, right? So it's just starting mm -hmm. from scratch. Eight, 10 years later, and you know paying i don't know what it is like between i'm on two platforms now drip and, and melt gun but uh you know i'm paying probably 1500 bucks a month i'm sending like almost a million emails a month so that's like it starts you, you know it has a comma in it so it starts to get my attention yeah <laughs> when, when, <laughs> that comma when dollar do. amounts have a comma it gets my attention so yeah. i'm like huh if i were if i knew back then that I was going to be spending whatever it is. I don't know what it is exactly. It's it's over a thousand dollars a month though. Just an email. Is this what I would have picked? Is this how I would have spent the money? Yeah. And you know, I, I suppose that for me, that I'm, I'm like, it's funny, but it, that is the threshold. Like when something crosses a grand a month, I start to look at it and be like, all right, now I've got a grand a month, twelve thousand dollars a year or more as a budget to say like, is there a way I can optimize this? In a, in a in a one-time way that will produce ongoing leverage from this money that I'm spending, which would look like something like, I don't know, like now that I've kind of oozed onto these two platforms, for, you know, my daily list is on a different one than my automation. Automation's still in drip. My daily list is in Mailgun. And it's like, that creates its own problems with unsubscribes and things. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, oh, and, and I don't really look at analytics, but sometimes you, you kind of want to, to see if there's been a drop off or if you're on a spam list or something. So it's like, all right, this is, this did what I wanted. 
in terms of the workflow, but it created new problems. So a decision that I made at one point, you know, I've got new information, new information I didn't have before. So it's like, and when with the, the budget being pretty beefy, it's like, all right, if I was going to make this decision now, would I, would it look like this? And the answer is almost definitely no. Yeah. Right. So it's like, yeah. huh, now I've got a lot more data to work with where before it was just like, look, this is, this costs nothing. It's like 40 bucks a month. And I'm just seeing if I can get something going. And, mm. you, know, <laughs> you know, the decision was made by a different person almost. Yeah. And, and now I'm still living with it. And it's like, all right. And the, and that 12,000, it starts to, you know, a year for mail, re email related activities. It starts to look like, well, I, if I could spend three grand to get like Jason Resnick, I don't know how much it costs, but like somebody like Jason Resnick just come in and completely set me up on ConvertKit or something. What mm -hmm. would that look like for my numbers? What would it look like for my deliverability? What would it look like for my workflow? It starts to become like, it gives you, a, I think I said this already, but it feels like I'm giving myself a budget of 15, dollars $15,000 a year to like, okay, how can I reevaluate this leverage I do have, like it has definitely created a lot of leverage for me, but like, right. can I optimize it? Can I yeah. make it simpler it and cheaper? Way. Yeah. Right. Or, or can you upgrade? I mean, that you're talking Infusionsoft style money yes. on a monthly basis. Now you might not need all of that functionality, but yeah, there are all kinds of options out there. Yeah. I never would have considered that back then, but I could now. Yeah. yeah it probably still cost you more because their upfront fees are pretty hefty and getting somebody to make it do what you want it to do but yeah or or wholesale going with something like i think kajabi does email and it also does a bunch of workshop stuff that i'm doing in slack right. and it's like hmm you know if, like as the numbers start to get up there stuff that used to look expensive for someone starting out doesn't look so expensive anymore mm -hmm. so yeah so like what are the other things i also mentioned moon clerk that's that's got a really oh, we, we had we had that conversation before yeah. we hit record yeah, that's all. Is it, that's got a pretty beefy budget that I can consider deploying in a different way. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because the the conversation we had was, um, you know, what do you put through Moon Clerk versus what do you put through your bookkeeping system? Like, I use QuickBooks and mm -hmm. I use I use Moon Clerk, um, I use Stripe, um, but I also uh, bill recurring revenue through QuickBooks, which you know it's not automated. There may be ways it can be automated. I am so not a QuickBooks expert, um, but yeah, it 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 allows. Uh, it's lower. There's a lower cut uh, off the top, and the money is delivered to your account faster. But yeah. it's less. It's in theory, it's less automated. Again, I could be wrong. There may be a way to just set it up to automate these things for you. Don't know. But yeah, yeah there's oh, there are always options. Right. It, that raises an interesting point, especially with the, the automation stuff or really any of the systems. There's these two, there's the, the initial setup cost, which might not be financial. It might just be you figuring something out. It might be time, mm -hmm. frustration, keyboard smashing, fury. <laughs> yeah, frustration. Um, but, or it could be an investment of some kind. Maybe it's, um, you know, like with Infusionsoft, they've maybe got a setup fee or maybe you bring in an expert to just help you set it up. Um, and then there's the ongoing cost. And so it, it it starts to be like maybe I could rebalance these two numbers where where the for convenience reasons of you know lack of initial setup or whatever just like just ship it just get started get writing um, and you you're not 
and your and the the initial cost is relatively low, but that convenience ends up becoming very expensive and kind of permanent unless you do something about it. Like software developers will know what I'm talking about with like Heroku, where it it Heroku sort of masks all of the craziness of dealing with AWS directly in the console or through the API. But boy, do they charge you a convenience fee <laughs> for that. Gets it can get very expensive when something works. So there's like this different phase where you're kind of in startup phase, startup mode, where you're like, look, we just need to focus on the important thing. With me, with email, it's just like I need to develop a daily writing habit. Okay, I'm not going to worry about. I'm going to make a million decisions about budget or whatever. Those those will come up later. Which is really that's the that's the point of this one for me is like looking at what the ongoing spend is and and evaluating if there's a way to do a some kind of a one time change one time purchase mm -hmm. to decrease that monthly uh, the monthly expense well or the opposite i mean you might find if you if the number is 1500 you might find you say all right i need to look at other solutions you look at another solution and the other solution costs 3000 instead <laughs> of 1500 but it saves you 10 hours a month right you might go hmm I'd be willing to pay that. So yeah, right. it's 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 the production value of the money. Like what does it produce in terms of time? What did you call it? Frustration and fury. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. If you can reduce those things, it might be worth spending more money. And conversely, you may be able to find a better solution at a lower price point. I mean, technology keeps marching forward. The options just keep getting better on, on, on a macro level. Yeah, so that's a good point. Like in my new scenario, the new me, <laughs> looking, reevaluating these platforms in my current context, it could dramatically change my, it surely would change my decision-making process significantly in terms of which ones are a better fit. And if the, if the, if even if the price stayed the same or went up, if the, the output force, if my input force is, you know, $2,000 a month now and a certain amount of time and blood, sweat and tears, and I can spend a little bit more to dramatically increase the output force, like the, a longer lever, even though it costs more. So like, for example, let's just say my open rate, to the extent that you can believe that is like 35%, 40%. If one of these platforms was like, oh, uh, we can get that up to 80% because our deliverability is so much better. If someone could make that promise, mm -hmm. I would spend more because yeah. it would be like doubling my list. <laughs> yeah you, you know, exactly like yeah. i'm paying for emails that aren't opened mm -hmm. yep. so yeah good point or that aren't delivered <laughs> then yeah, they're not, not open not they don't get there not too yeah. many of those but so okay so what have we covered we've talked about automation people, people. systems money specifically because it kind of applies to all of them is there a time one it feels like time would be missing from this list well i just there's, i just think there's one more thing about money okay. which is I hear people go, I'm spending X amount, I need to reduce it. And they huh. will twist themselves up like a pretzel to create something to have a, you know, a $200 a month cost to $100. Mm -hmm. And I just say, you know, you're looking at this the wrong way. I mean, it's one thing if your business is tanking and, and your clients are, you know, like rats leaving the ship and you're trying to just figure out how to get through the day. But that's not, you know, 99.9% .9 of people that are listening to this. It's like, don't worry about the pennies when you can play with the dollars. Right. Yeah, that's uh, that does come up sometimes, but it is more people who are... Uh, 
a little bit newer in the journey. They haven't got a pipeline going yet, but I, I, you know, I hear all the time people, you know, like, I can't believe you use Mooncloak. Their fees are so high. I'm like, well, compared to what, you know, if somebody wants to send me whatever, $25,000, you know, could I invoice them and save myself 700 bucks or something? Like, I guess, but that would also push them outside of the system. Like I did have someone do this once. I had a, a private coaching student that was uh, in Europe somewhere and wanted to use something different than ACH. I can't, I think, I think there was some complications with using Mooncloak. So we went outside of the system and used something else and it just like broke everything. <laughs> <laughs> and it was so, I would have rather, so like on the, you like, I don't look at the fee. I don't look at it as completely like, like moon clerks is highway robbery. It's expensive. It is, but it does, it does exactly what I want, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like, but still, still like looking at it and saying like, okay, well, what, what would have to happen for, for everything to not break? If somebody, you know, if I was going to switch to something else or use Stripe directly, because now Stripe has interface for that stuff too, or, or bill.com or like build my own payment gateway integration or something. Like oh, no, <laughs> no, do not do that. Well, I wouldn't build a gateway, <laughs> but I could do, I mean, I know how to integrate with APIs. I, I'm not going to do that, but yeah, that's know. what's scary. Yeah. Cause there, there are things that certain people know how to do that we still don't want to do for our business, but sure. yeah. Yeah. But it does, that is the, that's, that's kind of, that's kind of to my point is yeah. like chasing that last little bit. And, you know, there are other people that'll say, you know, if you take care of the pennies, the dollars will take care of themselves. That yeah. is true. Yeah. But we have to look at value. It's its value of your time and your energy yes. and how you want to spend your time. And so for you, whatever you're spending on them is worth it because you don't have to bill the client. You know, it's automated. You know, it's going to go out when it's supposed to, you know, the money's going to fly through Stripe and land in your account. And so there's a peace of mind factor. So for you, that's absolutely worth it for somebody else looking at it. They might choose a different, a different way. But you know, the point is to look is to reevaluate the way that we're leveraging on some kind of a periodic basis and just seeing, does it still make sense? Is there a better way to do this? Right. Yeah. The the thing that's, it's the new information thing that is super interesting. So like as your business grows, you've got new information. Like when you, when you built systems or, or whatever, made any of these decisions, that was the younger you and things have changed one way or the other for sure. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, there. So I guess it's it's like, what's the trigger that would cause you to reevaluate? For me, it's a comma showing up in a monthly SaaS <laughs> purchase, or it, it would be, you know, if if I was paying, if I when I had a VA, or even in the story you told earlier, when you write that check or you send that money, and you're not like super happy about it, you're just like, ugh. Or because you know, sometimes yeah. it's like, oh, this is worth every penny. Like I have, I have yep. subscriptions to SaaS products that I'm like, they could add a zero to this, and I would still buy it because it's it's way underpriced and for my needs. And I'm like, yeah, I'll pay that all day long. Mm-hmm. And it's the same with it's the same with contractors or VAs or or you know, a copywriter that you bring in. It's like if you're happy to send that money, uh, if you're not happy to send that money, that's one of those that to me that's like an automatic built in trigger of like this just doesn't seem like it's worth it. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's like the happiness factor, but it's 
Yeah. I mean, I think that's really important. It's, you, it's a feel good when you're spending the money. And that's why I like to work with people or, or systems that are in their junior zone. Right. So for me, I don't want to sit there and do a lot of administrative work, but there are people who love to do that and who love to create systems and processes. And so I'm happy to pay the money because I don't have to do it. They're happy to get the money because they're doing what they love. Right. Everybody's happy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I, I think the other thing, though, is that, you know, what I said earlier, technology marches on is that and I am so guilty of this myself, is that there are certain SaaS products that I'll use and I will not keep up with the changes that they've made that might benefit me. Like Calendly, I must get at least a message a month, maybe two, about some new feature. And if it doesn't have like some buzzword that like just gets me in that moment, I just, I'll save them sometimes. I'll even flag them thinking, I'm going to go back and look at this later. I never do. (laughs) I do the same thing with Calendly. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, not to pick on them because I, I love their app, but it, the same is true with like Simplecast that hosts our, our um, podcast. And, you know, we were joking last week. It was like everybody changed their interface on the same day. Remember that? Like, <laughs> yeah. we're like what? You log in expecting a certain thing. But uh-huh. the beauty of that when it's not just sheer annoyance is when they are actually improving what they're offering, there might be something in there that we hadn't considered before, that we hadn't known was available that might make our lives so much better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and well, you said something at the beginning there that I wanted to call out, which is, it's a little bit of a, a loop back to the, the geez, I'm paying 70 bucks a month, that's highway robbery, you know, and like trying to cut the cost from 200 down to 100. The, the thing, I think one important consideration is, it's a little bit less about how much does it cost for other things like this in other words like you you're playing you're capitalizing on their race to zero against each other so you mm-hmm. know switching from drip to convert kit because convert kit's going to save me ten dollars a month or something mm-hmm. it's like to me the comparison the only part of the comparison is like between the alternatives the comparison to me is like is is back to the leverage thing it's not about convert kit versus mailchimp it's about is the money I'm spending producing the kind of leverage I want? Is it is it creating the output force that I want? Is that money so like rather than comparing the fifty bucks a month to forty bucks a month, it's like the fifty comparing the fifty bucks a month to the ten thousand that I that it was an integral part of making. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. So comparing so yeah, I wouldn't I would just urge people to not shop around without considering the 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 magnitude of the benefits of the thing because it just becomes a waste of time to, to if you let's just make the numbers extreme let's say every time i send an email i made a thousand dollars so that's thirty thousand dollars a month from email is it worth switching from mailchimp to convert kit to save 10 bucks it's not even <laughs> worth thinking about right you know so and those obviously i'm making an extreme case but it's like don't it's like the, the thing about considering costs too much is to me, it's like it's a little bit of a, a yellow flag if, that people are just shopping around and not considering the actual benefits. Like, what are the benefits? Well, it's, it's also why it can be hard to make a decision on those things, because you're trying to understand on a more complex um, purchase. You're trying to understand, like, what does this do for you? What does it not do for you? And especially if you have a current solution, like, how does that compare? Is it doing more things for you? What other inputs do you have to give it? Is there a front end 
um, and I'm not even talking about, about cost here, but is there a front end piece where somebody has to build it for you? Mm. And so there's a complexity there. I, I'm thinking of when I use Thinkific for a, a course that I no longer offer. Um, it, it was really clunky. And so I had to hire somebody. And I, I knew I would have to hire a developer. But what was frustrating is they kept changing because I had a custom integration. Yeah. Yeah. Every time they changed anything, and of course, they didn't tell me. I mean, I'm just a customer, right? And it would change everything. And so I had this, I remember it was on the eve of a launch and they changed something. <laughs> I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? And now they were really helpful. They did They did help us, you know, re-customize the thing like overnight, which was awesome. But it was, it was I couldn't stand the not knowing what was going to happen. Like what was going to break? It was mm-hmm. this complex system that I really didn't need for that particular solution. So those are the things like when you're looking at, you know, email is a great example. You know, you look at MailChimp, you look at ConvertKit, you know, I I passed on Drip because I felt like it was made for developers. It was too, it was too challenging for me to understand it and work with it. But for you, it was probably the perfect solution at the time. So it's looking, yeah, it's looking at all those pieces and doing your best to understand them. And if you outsource that, like, let's say you have a VA and you say, and I've done this, go look at these at options for X, tell me what's out there and give me an analysis, like what, what will work best and, and why, and what will this change? Even then you still have to look under the hood and make sure that somebody else's assessment of what will work for you jives with how you want to work. Yeah. There's a lot of moving parts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Costs everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's just, I've gotten to the point where my time is just so much more valuable than, you know, spending another $50, $100, maybe even $500 a month, depending on what it is. It's, you've got to look at the total impact. Yeah. And it's the same thing people used to say about Heroku. It's like, it's like, yeah, it's like twice as much, but you don't have to hire an entire DevOps person. You don't have to hire, you know, and so, so the comparison wouldn't be between Heroku and AWS. It'd be between Heroku and a full-time employee <laughs> mm. right yeah so yeah yeah and well, all the complications that brings i mean it's not even the money it's the complexity of it yeah it's like what kind of business do i want to have yeah and do i want to find the perfect devops person <laughs> <Ugh>. <laughs> no <laughs> i'm serious that DevOps. just sounds no it's not that at all it's that sounds really hard i mean they're they've, they're highly skilled they're super valuable they don't move easily i'm guessing um, and could i with my business size get the level of person i want what would that cost yeah that's why that's what i'm getting yeah, at yeah. when it's something that that i don't understand and i have to hire for that yeah there's a there's a, a, a fear and potentially frustration factor in there too. totally totally yeah. all right cool so so we've come up with five sort of dimensions that you might want to consider reevaluating like wait five different five different ways that people create leverage in their businesses businesses like ours that in theory you would reevaluate periodically either you know when you're like Jesus is really this this price is like getting out of control or I'm really not loving paying for this work from this person anymore or maybe I don't even need to do this work anymore I'm not liking the profits maybe your systems you've got you've got they're automatically getting better as you run through them you just make it a part of the system to improve the system and then how you deploy your money and time across all of those things yeah 
Yeah. It's like your, your situation is different now, probably when you made some of those decisions. So exactly. Cool. All right. Well, that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And we hope you join us again next time for the Business of Authority. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.